Before we start the episode, one or two things you might want to know. First, this was recorded several months ago, before John and Michael Kaiser stopped doing Make Ours Marvel, which explains all the references that John makes in the episode to that great but now defunct podcast. His current show is Superman in Crisis, which you can find at johnreadscomics.com. Also, we had some technical difficulties with the last part of the episode. When I went to go edit the last segment, which was us talking about Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 15, it was gone. Just gone. Thankfully, John had a copy of the recording, and he saved the day. Thank you, John. But the way that recording worked, it saved our voices on two different tracks instead of one stereo track. So if it sounds a little different than the other segments, that's why. All right, that's it. On the show. Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And starting this episode, we're doing something a little different. We're going to be working our way through what I call the wilderness years for Adam and Thanos, stealing from Doctor Who vernacular. In case anyone doesn't know about it, uh, the wilderness years was the time period of Doctor Who from like 89 to about 2005, where the show ended and there was no TV show. You only had you know comics or novels featuring the Doctor. And it's the same thing here, because as you remember, Adam and Thanos are now dead. So we're going to burn through all of these uh, stories that sort of relate to them from the late 70s, early 80s, uh, doing a few issues each episode with a couple different guests, depending on, who, on the different issues. And this episode, well, this episode, we have one guest doing all three issues. We have John Wilson back with us. Hey, John. Hey. Okay, that cocoon was really stuffy. But thank you for having me on the show again. This is great. John Wilson, the Method Actor podcast guest. (laughs) He didn't know I was going to do that. (laughs) The man goes full method. But yeah, this is is fun. This is... Okay, so we've talked on the previous... On the show how I know Adam Warlock from the Infinity stuff. And... Um, from the Starlin stuff, but this in-between era, all the little things that they did to flesh out the the ideas and concepts, I've never read before. So this will be fun and first time for me for every one of these Wilderness Years stories that we do. Yeah, so all these are going to be either cameos by Adam or Thanos for things that relate to their legacy or characters that's, or the other characters that are going to be important later on, like just a hint of things to come, Moondragon and Drax. Because mm-hmm. they're going to be important when we get to Warlock and the Infinity Watch and the Infinity Gauntlet and stuff like that. They're going to be big. Play- they're going to be big players. Although to be fair, both of them were decent players already. But they're going to get a lot more spotlight in those years. But the first thing we have is the Incredible Hulk Annual number six from 1977. So this annual came out right after the 
Marvel Two Woman Annual and the Avengers Annual that involved the death of Adam and Thanos. Which is great because there's a bit of a feeling of full circle with this issue. Yes. So hold on one second. I am going to drop in a quick, and I mean very quick, synopsis of the story, and then John and I will be right back. Incredible Hulk Annual 6. Beware the Beehive. Writers Len Wein, plot, and David Anthony Kraft, plot and script. Pencils, Herb Trimp. Inks, Frank Giacoya and Mike Esposito. Colors, Janice Cohen. Letters, Gaspar Saladino. Editor, Len Wein. Cover art by Herb Trimp. Frank Giacoya and Danny Crespi. Cover dated 1977. On sale date August 3rd, 1977. With a cover price of 60 cents. You can find this issue reprinted in Der Unglaubliche Hulk number 5, a 1979 German reprint. Presence album Hulk album number 5, a 1981 Swedish reprint. Hulk Gavin number Hulk album number 5, a 1981 Norwegian reprint. Hulk number 8, a 1983 Swedish reprint. Hulk number 8, a 1983 Norwegian reprint. Essential Hulk Volume 6 from 2010. And Marvel Masterworks Incredible Hulk Volume 13 from 2019. Wadislav Shavinsky, Carlo Zota, and Maris Morlock of the Enclave send a seeker robot to the Sanctum Centaurum of Doctor Strange. They ask his assistance in a vital experiment that they are conducting at their island laboratory, the Beehive. Doctor Strange agrees to visit them and teleports away. However, Strange doesn't feel easy about the situation, so he sends out a mystical SOS call to fellow defender, the Hulk. The Hulk, recognizing that his friend may be in trouble, begins on a long trek to find him. It is not an easy road for the Hulk, as everywhere he goes, he seems to encounter military men that try to kill him. In one bizarre circumstance, the Hulk's journey leads him to a nation full of people who are apparently Hulk worshippers. Meanwhile, the Enclave explains to Doctor Strange that they once created an artificial human dubbed him, who ran amok and tried to destroy them. They are recreating another artificial human, but do not wish to repeat their mistakes. They need Strange's surgical knowledge to operate on the creation's higher brain functions, to make it more docile and manageable. Strange immediately distrusts the Enclave, but plays along, biding his time until the Hulk arrives. He finishes assisting with the surgery, and the new being known as Paragon is born. The Enclave members show their true colors and order Paragon to kill Doctor Strange. They now have an artificial human that they believe they can actually control. The Hulk finally arrives at the Beehive and fights with Paragon, but Paragon has downloaded all the Enclave's computer intelligence into their brain, and learns that the Enclave secretly wished to use them as their own personal weapon. Paragon turns on the Enclave and destroys the island base. Doctor Strange and the Hulk manage to escape before the Beehive collapses. Paragon then places itself back into the restorative cocoon, and allows their inert form to sink beneath the island wreckage until such time as they are ready to emerge once more. All right. Incredible Hulk Annual number six from 1977. You got the cocoon on the cover, so you automatically think, okay, Adam Warlock. It says Adam Warlock in the blur. Once before the cocoon opened to unleash Adam Warlock, what looks within it now? And the course of this story happens, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, okay, this was fine. It's the same organization. They've made another paragon of humanity. I've never met a paragon. Neither have I. Star Trek quote. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so what comes of this dude? And hello, trans icon. Paragon is her. Yes. 
I didn't know that when I was reading it. <laughs> so, this is so, the first appearance of the character known as her or Kismet or I think Chimera she's been called as well. Or I guess I should say they've been called as well. So I, I honestly had no idea. And the realizing I had read her first appearance or you're right, their first appearance, it's kind of, you know, uh, in the air right now. Um, that was just kind of exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, th- this character's had many names. Paragon, her, Kismet, and Aisha. Aisha. Yes. I like it. Aisha, I believe, shows up, is uh, the name of the character as it shows up in the Chris Claremont written Fantastic Four run. Uh, which is from hero this, which is from the uh, Heroes Return era. Okay, okay. So right after the Heroes Reborn, Fantastic Four by Jim Lee. The uh, the inside cover of this issue has a pizzazz ad, which always makes me smile because when I was doing my Star Wars podcast years ago, there was a Star Wars strip in pizzazz. That's right. So it's, it's this magazine. It's not a comic. It's a magazine about stuff, but in the middle of every issue five pages of star wars or eight pages or whatever it was and they had this ongoing story that went for you know like a year and a half in that comic which i covered on the star wars saga cast years ago but I've it just never, went, when i see the ads it makes me smile i have never read pizzazz beyond some of the star wars stories but i've never read pizzazz otherwise yeah same here just i just read the star wars stuff i mean if, if you like reading magazines about news and reviews from the 1970s then sure but it was, well, yeah. a, it was a hype mag with a comic strip Anyway, so this is a weird story. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just makes me laugh. It's all about Hulk was fright. <laughs> Hulk, yeah. Hulk tells Doctor Strange, don't go. And Doctor Strange goes like, quiet, behemoth. I know what I'm doing. Five seconds later, crap, Hulk, I need your help. And yet Hulk is kind of secondary to the primary action. He's just sort of in the background through most of the story until the final fight. Um, exactly. Which is kind of funny because, you know, Doctor Strange, his popularity level has varied over the years. He's never been a front runner, I don't think. So this is more of a Doctor Strange annual with Hulk in it, or like a Defenders Light annual. Yeah, yeah. This makes me feel like it's almost like a it is like a Defenders type issue. Which I guess seventy seven movie the Defenders was really big, so probably they wanted to do a Defenders type story. But my favorite part of this is the fact that Doctor Strange gets taken somewhere. Obviously, it seems like off the coast of China. And so what does Hulk do? Now, I don't know whether this is Hulk or Doctor Strange's fault for leading him that way. But Hulk takes off from New York going east instead Mm. of west, which would be a lot shorter because he would just have to cross the country and then cross the Pacific. You know, that was a thing in the 60s comics, too. It's almost like everyone associates Asia with the Far East. So it's almost like they didn't, I'm guessing, they didn't want to confuse the reader or they were confused themselves, one or the other. But there are stories in the 60s where this only makes sense if he's crossing the Pacific, but they're using the term East. But, I mean, here he obviously does go that way because he goes through Russia and everything. Mm -hmm. So he is going East. So he crosses the Atlantic and through Europe and through Asia to get to China instead of the other way. <laughs> it's this great thing. It's like Doctor Strange is doing his stuff there at the uh, at the Beehive, Beehive Lab. Yeah, he's like working stuff. He's doing things. We have all the Hulk's running around, going crazy, blowing things up and attacking people in the background. 
And Dr. Doctor Strange is like, hmm, I wonder what I should do. And then in the background, you got like the Hulk running around like a madman. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a cartoon where like, you know, you have the one character in the front, in the foreground, just being very serious. And the other guys in the background running back and forth like a maniac. So we, I am very amused by that. When we get the big cock, uh, cocoon reveal in page 16, I felt very much like the image just reminds me of the MCU teases that we've gotten. Giant cocoon in cylinder. And what are, what is it going to do? What are we going to do with that? I don't know. But the MCU has not, you know, cracked that egg yet. And yet here it is looking at us. Yeah. Oh, going before that a little bit, though, I do have to say I do love the part where Hulk accidentally ends up with, like, the army training area. And they're like, uh... Hulk, you know what? We don't did not know you were coming. You may go. I mean, granted, Hulk doesn't. Hulk just sees soldiers and goes, "Ah, soldiers attack Hulk. Hulk attacks soldiers." Mm-hmm. But the soldiers are smart for once. Yeah, it's a very few times that people have said, "Oh, hi, Hulk. Sorry. Um, we'll we'll move when you do." Yeah, and uh, Wait, here's, they don't usually do that. Here it is. Take it easy, Hulk. I don't know how, how you got into the middle of this NATO test operation, but if you go quite quietly, there'll be no trouble. Have trouble. Yes. So Doctor Strange ends up with the beehive, and these guys have not learned their lesson. No. I mean, so basically, we thought they got killed at the end of Fantastic Four, but they didn't. They lived and somehow spent all this time, I mean, 10 years of real time. So at this point in Marvel, it's probably like, what, five years? Because, mm. I mean, the compression is not that far. It's only been 10 years. So it's been a couple of years. They spent all this time trying to bring themselves back, get themselves set up again, and they do the exact same experiment. Right. And it has the exact same result. Yeah, in a way, this is just a rehash. of This is like the kind of sequel idea you normally want to avoid, where you're just rehashing the same plot points over again. But in this case, it's like, why didn't you learn? I didn't realize how much until you said it that it is a sequel but it is dr strange is alicia and <laughs> the hulk is the thing from yep. that original fantastic four story they bring alicia over because they want her to tell them what her you know make do a thing this way they can see his face and the thing goes trying to rescue her and here's it's the same thing they want dr strange to fix the brain because they somewhat learned from last time like okay there was a problem let's see if we can do something else but only slightly. Only slightly. And, you know, over at the Make Ours Marvel show, I'm about to come full circle because we just recently talked about Fantastic Four 65. Ooh. Yes. And so now we, we've, you know, we've done the Cree introduction, which has me jazzed. Um, and now we're going to do the 66, 67. And it's funny how leading up to the whole Alicia Beehive story, they're like, the mystery of Alicia, the mystery of Alicia. She's in like five panels of those <laughs> issues, but they're all about the mystery of Alicia. And instead of, holy crap, we've just introduced one of the most important Marvel alien races ever. No, no, no. The mystery of Alicia. That's the tagline. Oh, because is, is that the century issue? Century and then Ronan the next issue. Yep. Okay. Yeah, 64 and 65, or 63 and 64. That's right, yeah, that's when they go on that vacation to that random island. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The random island that Ben Grimm picks by throwing a dart at. Yeah, and then 
Reed doesn't say, oh, Ben, that's silly. You do a real choice. He just says, okay, you picked random island number seven. Let's go. <laughs> well, I'm sure Reed wanted to test out his new cat log cabin in a box thing or something. Probably. He's like, why would I stay at a hotel when I have one right here? And we didn't mention in the show, but he mysteriously seems to know a lot about the Cree at the end of that story. So it's almost like, did you know where you were going? And if you did, why didn't you? Like, it seems like you had ulterior motives here, Reed. <laughs> but it wouldn't be the first time that he pretended something in the name of science. Maybe Reed just read the script. You know, that does help. Maybe Reed is the one before she before Deadpool did it, before She-Hulk did it. Reed Richards was the one breaking the fourth wall. He just didn't tell anybody. <laughs> That's why he knew all that stuff. It's just like, look, I read the script. I know it's going to happen. It's okay. Right. Re- refusing to break the fourth wall in the name of science, but he knows what's going on. Yes. But yeah, um, Paragon is pretty cool. He's basically Adam Warlock all over again. Like you said, they did not learn their lesson. Um, yeah. Choosing uh, a non-Caucasian appearance for the character was good um, because Adam Warlock, despite being orange, was still just a white dude. This guy kind of has like an ancient Egypt Cleopatra movie vibe to him. Yeah. Which maybe that's not the best trope, but it's also pretty minimalist. So maybe it's not that bad. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, kudos for them. It's better than Adam's just little box, you know, uh, banana hammock he was wearing. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because i mean that's all he, i mean he basically was i think we said it before he basically was rocky from rocky horror picture show just orange oh wow if you look at the pictures he looks exactly like him he even has that hair right no i agree i agree in fact that's an idea for a joke on make us marvel I'll, I'll try to remember to give you credit oh thank you but yeah paragon has that egyptian look and then of course changes into some kind of uh kirby crackle monster Mm-hmm. That was unexpected. Yeah. Basically, once they lose control, and of course, wrecks everything, they potentially die. Spoiler, they don't. Uh, I don't know where else they're going to show up, but they're definitely going to show up at some point uh, when we do this series of episodes in one of the Avengers annual, and they're going to they're gonna fare even le- less well than this one. It's going to mm-hmm. go quick. Their, their luck's going to run out. They're basically not going to get out of the van. Well, they do go back into the cocoon, so they're not necessarily dead. They're just re-cocooned. Oh, no, I meant, sorry, I meant the uh, beehive guys. Oh, the beehive guys. So the beehive guys come back. Yeah, they come back briefly. Gotcha. Basically, just to, we'll get to that soon enough, but we're going to cover that anyway. The issue of Avengers that involves the return of Jean Grey. Oh. Because they find what looks like a cocoon, they think it's a cocoon, like this. Oh, is that them that found found her down there? Yes. I did not realize and that. And it's them messing with it, and that's what brings the Avengers. Okay, that's a cool connection. I didn't realize what was going on. And I'm, I'll have to check later on to see if her shows up again before that or not, because they kind of imply that, you know, you can almost assume that maybe that that's what the cocoon was, even though this is off the Sea of China and that's off New York City, but still, you know how that happens, comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Comics. Geography is not an important thing. Yeah. Um, I did have one other completely random point I wanted to mention in here. Back at the beginning of the comic, when the robot is pursuing them, we get a view of what the robot sees. And this made me laugh because 1980s 1980s Transformers comics do the same thing. 
a robot sees a real life and you get like an extremely low res pixelated like like Windows 95 paint program zoomed in pixels of whatever it is that they're seeing. I'm like, can the robot really operate on that low res of a video? But I guess it can. Yeah, this looks like something off an Atari 2600 game. Mm -hmm. It's harder to buy with Transformers because they're like super robot life forms from another planet. Uh, Yeah. But for this, you know, beehive robot, it makes more sense. Although one thing about the beehive robot, I'm wondering, how does it know how to fight magic? Because it fights magic here without even knowing it. Strange blasts it and it just blasts. He says, oh, it's catching my mystic energies and firing them right back at me. Huh? I don't. I don't claim to know all about robotics, but I'm pretty sure that the robots I've seen can fight magic. Oh, okay. Well, that works then. Yeah. Like the ones that build the cars and the, ro- oh, okay. and the factories. Yeah. Oh, they can fight magic too? Yeah. I guess it's a nice little side benefit. When you're, when you're a, a factory robot, yes, it's very, very helpful. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is... It's weird. Like I said, it's it, it's more... If you're looking for a Hulk story, it's not. If you like the Hulk and Defenders, then yes. Yes, that's what this is. This is a Hulk and Defenders or Doctor Strange guest starring the Hulk. Yeah. Um, because evidently the Defenders was a way of making Doctor Strange popular. Because he just wasn't otherwise. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't that big. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's one of the sad parts of doing the Make Ours Marvel show. I really wanted to like Doctor Strange more than I am liking Doctor Strange. Yeah, I'm behind on that. Well, I'm behind on listening to everything. But you're still somewhere in the middle of the Mordru Dormammu 85-part story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it just seems like it never ends. Yeah, it doesn't. We're still doing that story. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, not to... I don't try and take sides in these things. I know it's hard to know, and we weren't there, like the Lee Dicko stuff or Lee Kirby or things like that. But sometimes you have to wonder. It's like, okay, if Strange was Dicko's baby, maybe he did need Stan Lee a bit. Because mm-hmm. it's like, okay, Steve, wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> it's like, maybe you do need somebody else in there to kind of rein you in a bit. Everybody needs somebody, right? Like, George Lucas on his own that. is not nearly as good as George Lucas with help. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to say whether or not, you know, take sides on that, but I think you can pretty much say that more people like Empire Strikes Back than uh, Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and that's because he had help and let, let other people do things and didn't just do it all on his own and say, I'm in charge and I do everything. right. But that was it. That was Hulk annual. So we get the first appearance of Paragon, which will eventually become her, which we will be covering her stuff on the show, too, eventually. Oh, good. Well, I figure her is it's related to Adam. You know, Mm -hmm. another character like Adam. Unfortunately, her does not get as much play. And they don't intersect as nearly as much as you might expect. Right. I I think maybe I can think I think maybe there's an issue of Quasar that they both were in briefly. But it was like almost like, oh, hi. OK, I'm dealing with this part. I don't care what you're doing. So it's weird that like two people that have such parallel, similar connected origins, you'd expect them to be like like the Superman family, like they would be associated all the time. But no. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're the only two like themselves out there. As for as much of them says, I am alone in this universe. I exist outside. You know, I'm completely different from everything else. It's like, well, there's one other. What about this one? 
it's kind of like that Eddie Izzard joke about uh, the pilgrims landing on Plymouth Rock. He's like, we are here in this new continent where no one is. Excuse me. This new land where nobody lives. Excuse me. Who the hell are these guys? <laughs> right. Oh, dude, dude, dude. Can we just go on a tangent on this real quick? Sure. Um, back in my more uh, faith-oriented days, I read a couple of books on American history through the eyes of, you know, Christian tradition. And a lot of it was like bringing out uh, journal entries that involved God in its their descriptions of the American explorations. And I remember one of them, uh, the, the European explorers landed and they're walking through New England and they're like, it's almost like God intended us to be here because they've he's you know, they've there are huge roads through the forest cleared where the trees, ha- uh, you know, like they never drew never grew here. And, you know, other descriptions like that. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's because people were here and they made pathways to travel through. (laughs) But, you know, whatever. It's not your fault that a plague wiped out upwards of 70% of the eastern seaboard population before you ever got here. So, anyways. (laughs) God. Uh, Dr. Strange? All right, so that was Incredible Hulk Annual, so hold on a minute, and we'll be right back for the next thing, which is Doctor Strange number 27. They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities, and though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now, you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. The adventure begins soon. Doctor Strange, number 27. I, the in-betweener. Writer, Roger Stern. Pencils, Tom Sutton. Inker, Ernie Chan. Colors, Irene Vartanoff. Letters, Bruce Patterson. Cover art by Gene Colan, Tom Palmer, and Annette Kwecki. Editor, Archie Goodwin. Cover dated February 1978. On sale date, November 8, 1977, with a cover price of 35 cents. You can find this reprinted in Doctor Strange No. 2, a 1981 French reprint, Essential Doctor Strange Volume 3 from 2007, Marvel Masterworks Doctor Strange Volume 7 from 2016, and Doctor Strange Epic Collection, Alone Against Eternity, from 2021. Brought before the in-betweener, Doctor Strange and the Ancient One petition a cosmic being to allow them passage to the Wheel of Change. When the in-betweener agrees to do so, Strange sends the Ancient One back to Earth where he will be safe. In order to travel to the location of the Wheel, Strange must first battle Stigoro, who is also a member of the Creators. When Stigoro turns into a living star, Doctor Strange is able to destroy him, and the in-betweener agrees to finally take Strange to the wheel. However, he would take any measure to stop Strange from tampering with it. Strange then speeds towards the in-betweener, attacking him with all of his mystical might, vowing to correct the wrong he created, the Anka of Life Eternal appearing on his forehead. And now up is Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts, number 27 in which we not only get a bit of a cameo by Adam, but we have the reappearance of one of John's favorite characters, the in-betweener. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's just such a weird idea, but I'm not going to rehash all that. This was yeah. almost the in-betweener was like incidental to the story. It was more like a vehicle to let this Stigaro person show up again, whatever you... I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It looks like it's based on Greek words. I didn't look up the pronunciations. No, me either. But yeah, that's kind of like what you did last time, too, in the uh, Warlock story. He was His job was just there to change Adam. And that's mm-hmm. it. He didn't have to do anything else. He just kind of like hung out waiting for that time. He's like, ah, it's not time yet. We got five minutes. Right. <laughs> He's watching his clock. <laughs> but yeah, this is a story about Doctor Strange. I think this comes after that story where Doctor Strange had to recreate reality. Oh, that one? I don't know Doctor Strange continuity at all. I do know that um, in our own coverage, uh, the uh, Ancient One has appeared to die. So here it says that they've reconstituted him. I don't know if that's reconstituted from 1967 or reconstituted from something more recent where he came back and then died again. I don't know. But yeah, he basically is somehow... Oh no, it's not the story I'm thinking of, which is the... uh... I don't know how to pronounce it. Basically, it's Genesis spelled backwards. Oh, wow. Okay. But with the hyphen in the middle. It's a character who basically goes back in time and then ends up trying to uh, take over reality and instead just recreates reality. And the question is, did it always recreate reality? And has it always just basically been the creator of that? I'm going to go with Sysneg. It looks like Sysneg. That sounds more right. I'm going, you're probably looking at it. I'm just going by memory. I'm like, right. I could remember how to do it. But this is a different story where basically these guys took over these cosmic wheel or whatever. And Strange tried to fix it and instead create a parody of the universe. So, yeah. And it says apparently it's a parody of the universe. The ancient one is back, but as a, uh, quote, a broken derelict. Yeah, he looks like an old sad dude. I mean, the ancient one was kind of shriveled and this guy's kind of ripped. So I guess yeah. if you like your derelicts, you know, able to kickbox you to death, that's great. And he spends his time shirtless this whole time. He just wears pants. Yeah, yeah. He's he like is. The, he's going for the Bruce Banner look. He's a street tough. He's ready to, to kick your butt on Mortal Kombat or, or yeah. a street fighter or something. But yeah, the only thing that's relevant to Adam is that the in-betweener, of course, since he's showing up, he has to give his history and he talks about how I am here to, you know, to give balance to this universe. I am between order and chaos I was created to change Adam Warlock, the being known as Adam Warlock, into the Magus. But, you know, that didn't work out. So now to figure out something else to do. And I was thinking about it. He says War- Warlock chose to die. And, of course, whenever this was written, they figured he was dead forever. And I was thinking, yeah. there's nothing stopping Warlock from having another encounter with the in-betweener down the road. I don't know if they ever do. Well, that's a good point. I- I don't know Warlock's future stories, but I feel like during his Guardians of the Galaxy era, I read stuff about him turning into the Magus again. So if I don't know how that happens or when that happens or if that happens. but Oh, yes, that's the Guardians of the Galaxy that comes out of Annihilation. Right. He's in that series, and I've only read like an issue or two of that. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things that conceptually, from this perspective in 1977 or 78, whenever this is, that that could happen at some point. You know, I just realized something. It's and funny. It may not be done. Yeah. I just realized something. It's funny. So Adam Warlock is created as him. So there's a possibility if they hear about him, for instance, the Fantastic Four might have a clue that, oh, that's that thing from those beehive people. And obviously people like the Avengers and Captain Marvel know who he is from their adventure with him when he died. 
Mm-hmm. But most other people don't, because obviously he was most of his stuff was either on counter Earth or in outer space. Right. So we have these first two things afterwards. We have Doctor Strange here with the beehive hearing about their creation him, because that's all they know about. And now we have Doctor Strange hearing about this guy, Adam Warlock. And he has no with, idea that's the same guy. Yeah, that's interesting. No indication from his perspective that this is the same person. He's just hearing two separate stories. That's funny. And it, like Doctor Strange has no clue because it's not like he's like, oh, Adam Warlock. I was there, you know, w- w- witness to the creation of another being like him. No, nope, no idea at all. No it, idea. It, it's just kind of funny that it's Doctor Strange the first two times and because he had, no, you know, he wasn't there for that Avenger story. So he has no clue what happened. Because this is long before he became an Avenger. He's an Avenger now, right? Long before. Or he, uh, he was at he was at some point, yeah, yeah, okay. During the during the Bendis run, because Bendis really likes Doctor Strange. That's right, because they were they were headquartered in his base, I believe. The New Avengers. They're he- mm-hmm. I mean, headquarters is home. He also made Brother Voodoo the uh, Sorcerer Supreme for a while, which I thought was interesting. I did like that series. The Remender Remender wrote that Doctor Doctor Voodoo Sorcerer Supreme. And I, I wasn't entirely sure what kind of reasoning there was for that, except that. Brother Voodoo was inter- introduced in Strange Tales after the series ended and became Doctor Strange and continued the numbering from the Strange Tales numbering. They went back and recontinued from the original numbering with a, more Strange Tales. So there are two 169s. There's a Doctor Strange 169 that came out a month after Strange Tales 168. There's also a Strange Tales 169 that came out like five or seven years later. And that's the one that eventually became the strange show that Adam Warlock came back in. Yes. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, your voice got distant. <laughs> yes, uh, that's that's the one. That's the one. Yeah. So that's the relevant Warlock stuff. The rest is Doctor Strange doing magic stuff. I mean, there's some cool visuals here. Yeah. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the rest of it because I was like, okay. Okay, he's fighting Stigaro. Stigaro, you know, turns into a planet. Yeah. Tries he, to eat him. He has the traditional wizard hat, the pointy hat with the stars on it. Because <laughs> you have to. Yeah, because why not? Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of confused by this, too. I had no idea what the heck was going on. But that's okay. We, 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 we saw Warlock, and we saw if there was any connection. And there wasn't much, but, you know, it's worth checking out. Yeah. The important thing for me is the hostess ad in this issue. <laughs> okay, let's see if I have a copy of it, because I'm working off of a digital copy. I don't think there are ads. Uh, I don't see any ads in this. Okay. okay. No, it I do not have hostess. I'm sorry. For meeting the Dingling family. Uh, let's see if I can find this online real quick. Thor in the Dingling family, Sean Baby's hostess page. Okay, I've got it in front of yeah. me. Have you ever read this one before? I love this one. I have not. You want to read it? Sure, why not? Let's have some fun. Okay. Who do you want to be? Uh, let's see. Do you, Well, do you want to do Thor or not? Or Odin? I, I, yeah, I can do Thor. Okay. I'll do, the, I'll do Odin and some of the other Guardians. We can take turns with the Dinglings. Okay. And I guess I'll do the, uh, the, the caption in the front. Thor in the Dingling family. By some mysterious quirk of space and time warp, the Dingling family is thrust into Thor's Asgardian orbit. 
That family leaves a trail of evil doing on Earth. Grandma Dingling leads them in swooping silently up behind the Asgardians. Let's get them all, Ken. Capture them, or our name's not Dingling. We know not what provoketh thee, strange family. But if thou dost come amongst us with unpleasantness in thy hearts... With unpleasantness thou shalt be met. And then some! Random Asgardian, maybe Balder, who knows. Yeah, some guy with a helmet. By cracky, that pretty yellow-haired fellow's a leader. Let's hornswoggle him in the recipe piece of cake. Okay, Pa, Ma, Auntie, Sister, Brother, Cousins, B and Bye, and Grandma. All you dinglings, hold him still so I can get a bead on him with my atomic shotgun. Thy familial bonds are indeed strong. Pity tis misspent on evil, but tis not before the fierce power of the mystic mallet Mjolnir. But what's this? The cousins they calleth be and by resisteth the hammer? Hee-haw, cousin by. I think we got him. Show enough, cousin B. It's our cousin power. Seek a weapon. Nothing can resist it when our hand, except when our hands wander a bit, and we lose concentration, and we goof it up ourselves. And then Sif is there. Yes. I then, tis but child's play to use this ploy and distract the cousins be and by, and by and by twill be their undoing. Look at them cook. Look at that, cousin Bai. Cousin B, what were we saying? Oh, look at that. Delicious hostess fruit pies. Apple and cherry. Great light tender crust. Real fruit filling. Cousin Bai, I can't recollect what we were talking about, but it couldn't be half as interesting as these mouth. But it couldn't be half as interesting as these mouth watering hostess fruit pies. Yeah, fools. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. That's right. It's grandma. You fools, we almost had that yellow-haired one in our power, dumb cousins. Forsooth, milady, not so dumb. They knoweth of yon delicious snack. Now home to Odin. Be sure to save some closest fruit pies for that great one to enjoy, too. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess fruit pies. (laughs) Wow. I love that one so much. It's just so insane. It almost feels like the Dingling family are like characters from another thing. Like it feels like they're playing on established relationships. Yeah. Is it possible that this actually has character depth? Oh no. <laughs> I mean, because it's not only some kind of weird quirk of space and time that sends them into space, but they have an atomic shotgun and cousins with powers. Yep. It's like, pretty what crazy. The heck? It's one of my two favorite Marvel hostess ads. Which one's your other favorite? Spidey steals a snatch. <laughs> well, no, it's just because it's so true. Because it's for Tristan reasons. It's Captain Marvel versus Nitro. Considering okay. what's going to happen. Considering what Nitro does to him. Right, right. And I miss, I miss, I miss what is Spidey spoils a snatch. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And you there know, was a, there was one in the Hulk one, by the way, which was uh, the Legal Eagle, which basically looks like the Vulture. Gotcha. There was one other thing I was going to say about this uh, Doctor Strange issue before we completely say goodbye to it. Um, they teased the next issue with an either-or tease box. Like, normally it's like, you know, something generic or something that tells you how it's going to go. But this one's they're like, next issue, Strange saves the universe. Or, in between her triumphant, which will it be? Also, I never knew that Doctor Strange, when he gets really angry, has an onk on his forehead. That was new for me. Yeah, that's something different. But yeah, it was a story. Yeah, it was. The in-betweener is being a jerk, which is what he does. Every story I've read with him, he does that. 
He likes to do that in between his other gigs. Sorry, that's all I got. Those are the jokes. Take them or leave it, people. Right. All right. So we got one more coming up. uh, Spectacular Spider-Man 15. And that'll be happening in just a minute. In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Available weekly from January 3rd, 2022 at com. And we have time for one more issue this episode. And we have time for the same guest still. So back again is John Wilson. Hello, John. Just spread me all over this episode. I'm like mayonnaise or peanut butter or peanut mayonnaise. Peonaise? Mayo butter? <laughs> Something like that. That doesn't sound too appetizing. No, no, it really doesn't. But that's Let's okay. I have, a, I, have, um, I have some Spider-Man, which, you know, is my guy. And I never talk about him on podcasts, except for on my Marvel show, I guess. I did talk about him, like every other episode. Never mind. Retract that. I like <laughs> Spider-Man. 70s Spider-Man is a whole thing, though. When we got into this, I was reading this issue, and I was like, oh, yeah. Flash Thompson and Shashan and, yeah. Anyways. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You can't, When you hear people talking about stuff on podcasts a lot, you kind of almost think, like, that's what they know. And you kind of forget, like, they might have read other things they're just not podcasting about. Mm-hmm. So I, I associate you with Silver Age Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But anything that's like would be considered Bronze Age, I don't. I didn't really think about because between Makar's Marvel and beforehand, this, the uh, Spider-Man Classics, you know, you only got up to like issue what somewhere in the mid fifties, right. early sixties. And when I did Classics, I hadn't read a whole heck of a lot past that. I was working on my read through, but hadn't gotten very far. And now I've read into the nineties, so. I've read everything Spider-Man around this at least once. Most of it just once, but at least once. So just for everyone coming in here, since so they know what we're talking about, we are talking about Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, number 15. And as it says in the cover, all-out thrills, Spidey Flash and Razorback, trapped by the Man-Beast and his final rage. Razorback. <laughs> He's a whole thing. I know. Yeah, I know. We'll get into him, I'm sure, for a little bit. Because how can you not? Rat. Hey, good buddy. Yo, 10-4. But hold on, let's do a quick synopsis in here. Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 15. The Final Rage. Writer, Bill Mantlo. Breakdowns, Sal Buscema. Finishes, Ernie Chan. Colors, George Rousseau. Letters, Joe Rosen. Cover art by Keith Pollard, John Romita, and Frank Giacoya. Editor, Archie Goodwin. Cover dated February 1978. On sale date, November 22nd, 1977. With a cover price of 35 cents. You can find this reprinted in Super Spider-Man number 75, a 1978 UK reprint. 
Nova, number 11, a 1978 French reprint. Ederkoppen, pocket number 2, a 1979 Norwegian reprint. Luomo Rango, number 248, a 1979 Italian reprint. Spindleman, number 4, a 1982 Swedish reprint. Ederkoppen, number 4, a 1982 Norwegian reprint. El Asombroso, Ombre Arana, number 230, a 1984 Mexican reprint. Die Spinne Extra, number 3, a 1985 German reprint. Essential Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, from 2005. And Marvel Masterworks, The Spectacular Spider-Man, Volume 1, from 2017. As the Man-Beast fights off Spider-Man, Razorback, and Flash Thompson, he explains how he cheated death and arrived on Earth, starting the Legion of Light. Meanwhile, Brother Power is twisting those who've been watching the event. When the Man-Beast has incapacitated the heroes, he then plugs himself into a hate amplifier that causes everyone in the stadium to become violent. When Sister Sun tries to convince people not to use violence, she's attacked by Brother Power, while the Man-Beast removes the limitations of their powers. As Spider-Man and the others free themselves, Flash and Razorback try the quell of violence and save Sister Sun. Spider-Man goes after the Man-Beast. Overpowered by the creature, Spider-Man distracts him long enough for Razorback's sister, Bobby Sue, to deactivate the hate device. Spider-Man is then able to knock the Man-Beast into the device, causing an explosion which seemingly destroys him. The explosion also seemingly kills Brother Son as well. In the aftermath, Bobby Sue decides to stay with the Legion and the Heroes Park Company. Let's first of all, let's talk about the stuff that's relative to Warlock or Thanos, specifically Warlock, because Spidey in here is facing the Man-Beast. Yeah, so I was reading this issue because you said, hey, go read this issue. And I was like, shouldn't we read all the other stuff before this? Because he just got unmasked, this man beast, right? But then I was like, oh, wait a second, we're reading this for the warlock appearance. Yes. But yeah, um, Hatemonger, who is, you know, also been a lot known of people. as. Yeah, he's been a lot of people. I guess he was. Um, this is second hate monger, maybe the third hate monger. But there was the classic Fantastic Four issue where it was Hitler, yeah, or a clone of Hitler or something. Yeah, around twenty, because uh, it had Nick Fury in it before Shield. Um, yeah, and did he not have an eye patch? No eye patch because his eye injury was degenerating, but had not yet gotten to the point where he needed, where he felt the need to patch it. That's what I learned whenever I read Sergeant Fury history. Hmm. Did not know that. Okay, so I'm looking up. It's issue 21. I was close. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. And uh, now we have the hate monger, and you think maybe it's Hitler again because hate monger is a masked character, fully hooded. He is known for having a violet color, but his hood shape is Ku Klux Klan. It's one of those you know pointed uh, wizard hoods, and um, takes it off, and it's the man beast. It's not Hitler. And we know yeah. the Man Beast from earlier in the podcast. Yeah, he was in the first eight Warlock issues, plus the two Marvel premiere and the what Hulk one seventy six to one seventy eight. And right. we see we kind of so this is I guess the first appearance of the Man Beast since then because we show that he was changed to Wolf by Warlock, which we saw in that Hulk issue. And I'm not sure here. He says he was being hunted. Now, was it that they knew he was the Man Beast and was being hunt? They were hunting him. Or it was just like, hey, there's a wolf attacking our flocks. Let's get, you know, let's stop it. That's a really good question. Yeah. Without the supreme form given me 
My powers lay dormant. I was but an animal hunted through the world of men. I'm guessing, yeah, he's just a wolf. And if you see a wolf, you don't want a wolf near you, you chase it off. And if you happen to have guns, that might be how you chase it off. Yeah, I would say I, mean, I would say here, puppy, and either have a new puppy or maybe fewer hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your breath smells like dead bunnies. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's the it's the man beast. I mean, he's angry enough that he would just assume it's about him, mm-hmm. whether it was or it wasn't, because he is an angry, angry puppy. But apparently, warlock being away meant that the change to him stopped and he went back to normal or his altered form, I guess, because the wolf was technically normal. Which is weird, because, like, does that mean Warlock is, like, Mixius Pitalik, and if you send him back to his dimension, all of his magic is undone? So, like, everything he did while he was Warlock got undone? Hmm. It's kind of like whenever the uh, High Evolutionary's first storyline... No, second storyline ended in old Tales to Astonish Hulk stories uh, when he got turned into a god. All of his evolved new men got unevolved and i'm sitting there reading it i'm like wait a second but i know the man beast doesn't because he's the man beast so someone somewhere didn't think this through yeah i have a no prize for this one okay a potential no prize obviously we'll see if the is it's accepted or rejected when thanos was siphoning the energies of the soul gem because we don't know how the soul gem works. So perhaps when he was siphoning energies, it just siphoned all energies. You know, most Warlock didn't do, use this for a lot of things that were like meant to be permanent. Beyond absorbing people into the soul gem, it's not like he used it to like, I'm going to create this building or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he left anything permanent. The man beast being changed from, you know, humanistic to full animal was like the only permanent thing I can think of. Okay. So maybe in Thanos siphoning the energies, it pulled the, you know it pulled enough energy away. It also pulled the Man Beast energies away, and therefore he was able to turn back. I could buy that for a dollar. I'm down for any plausible explanation of a potential plot gap. And we'll blame Thanos. So why not? He can take it. He's got all those ridges on his chin. Exactly. <clears throat> but yeah, so the Man Beast. Use his abilities to appear human and basically get himself set up as an astronaut, because I guess they have a space program on Counter-Earth now. Do you think he used the same face as his president self from Counter-Earth? Hopefully not. But I was very amused by this. If you notice that panel where he's the astronaut shaking the president's hand and says, But despite his departure, Warlock had left the world on its guard against a future resurgence of evil. Who does that president look like? That's Richard Nixon. (laughs) Definitely on guard that. against evil there. I just found that amusing. Right. That's pretty great. Well, I guess man-beast level evil, not, you know, the more banal Nixon evil. Right. I, I, I have the impression, I have not read a lot, so I could be wrong. I have the impression Nixon did a lot of good stuff. He just also made some very poor choices that are become notorious and criminal. Yeah. So maybe he's not evil, evil, just stupid Mm-hmm. at the very least. So Man Beast comes back to Earth because he knows about our Earth because he's actually from our Earth. It mentions that he has to, like, break a barrier to get there. 
Yeah, um, the time lag barrier that separates counter Earth from the original Earth. Now, I just kind of thought that he just cleverly positioned the planet. The two planets were on opposite sides of the sun, and they'll just keep on spinning with either one knowing about the other because they're on opposite sides of the sun. I didn't think there was any like mystical, you know, Galactus Silver Surfer style barrier that you had to get through to get away. Well, I guess even in the seventies, we probably had enough technology or satellites or things to at least have an idea what was in our solar system. So even if it's on the opposite side of the sun, it's not like we didn't know where Mercury was. You know, if it went, you know, went behind the sun, it's not like we're like, oh my God, Mercury has vanished. No, but we only know Mercury exists because it does come on this side of the sun. We would never know about Counter Earth because we can't see it. Yeah, but it does affect the gravity. You know, the gravity and everything affects other things in its in its area. Hmm. Yeah. And I would. And the high evolutionary is paranoid enough. Okay, I can see how he might have wanted to prevent some potential questions. Okay, yeah. I mean, come on, it was hidden from Reed Richards. True, but yeah. Yeah, we did predict one of our planets, I forget which one it was, either Neptune or Uranus, we predicted its existence because of gravity, and yeah. we just looked for where the gravity hole was, and there was a planet there. So I, I can understand why a gravitational well might draw attention and just again it's on the opposite side of a blazing ball of energy that deflects all scans so <laughs> I don't know, it's not a big deal my my science brain is just going into into activity here no yeah that, that's the fun of these doing these things that's why we do it otherwise what's the point of doing a podcast but he does come to earth and he yeah. finds a very evil person in his and that person's very unfortunate sister yeah he finds a very unfortunate person who I'm assuming just had random foreign-sounding names, and that's what they picked. Ahmed Cobra. It, it kind of. I'm, I'm just assuming they kind of just picked the names out of a hat. Um. I mean, okay, so I know Shoshan is Vietnamese. Yes, that's different. Right. I don't know about Ahmed Cobra because I mean they're siblings, right? And no, Ahmed no, no. is not that not siblings. No, they're married. Yeah, she's just called Sister Son. Okay, well, Ahmed called Brother is it, uh, an Arabic name, I believe. I don't know what Cobra is. It's it's a very interesting backstory. How did these two people meet? Yeah, Cobra just sounds like scary evil name. Because, I mean, think about it. Most people are would be scared of Cobras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it just makes me wonder if Bill Mantlo had been reading the Cobra series from D.C., because it's spelled the same way with a K. It is. It is. I do believe that was a 70s series, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, because this, uh, this is right on the cusp of the implosion. That was 78, right? The implosion was 78? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that was the year. Yeah, I think Cobra was one of the ones that got nixed. And Cobra came out, Cobra number one, February 1976. Okay. So definitely predates this by a bit. And created by Jack Kirby. So... There's a reason that 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 would be more of a reason why people would have read it in mm-hmm. the industry. It's a Kirby book. I mean, how often do we see them taking nods from Kirby? I mean, let's go back to Thanos. <laughs> oh, it's Corba, not Cobra. Oh, you're right. I was having a really hard time getting search hits on him. 
I was looking him up. Ahmed Korba. No, you're right. I just kind of transposed the letters, I guess, because it's K-O-R-B-A, mm-hmm. and Cobra would be K-O-B-R-A. So you just and the B and the R are close enough that looking that you could just kind of. My brain just assumed it was Cobra. Right, right. Okay, so maybe Korba is a name. He is drawn as looking Asian. Uh, his wiki page has him being formerly of Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam. So even though I, I this I, I I am much less versed in uh, Asian variety of names than I am in like you know Western and European and such. So I never heard of Ahmed being an Asian name, but I guess it's possible. But in any case, Shoshan is definitely Vietnamese. They got married. They put on costumes because they've if they have touched, they're wonder twins. They have powers. They're less creepy fanmas. Right. If you remember Fenris from the X-Men. Yes. Baron Strucker's children. Right, the, the, uh, Andreas and Andrea. Yeah. You know, the, the twins that make you go, hmm, something's Kinda weird like the here. the ultimate Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch twins. Yeah, true. They take that, they even take that step, few steps further. <laughs> but yeah, so the Man Beast basically is set himself, so <laughs> after monologuing everything to Spider-Man about his origin... Which is great. It's like Spider-Man's half-conscious. He's like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine they're like coming in and out of conscious going, is he still talking? Right, right. Shut up. But yeah, basically the Man-Beast has this plan. So he had Ahmed and Shasan form this group called the Legion of Light, a cult, New Age cult, which was big in the 70s. Yeah, a lot of those. And they were very popular in pop culture. And he was basically going to blow up Yonker Stadium that they were in, blow up the bottom and have a whole bunch of people die, and Spider-Man's body would be found on the bottom, and he'd be blamed, and he'd be able to use that to amplify people's hate, because like I said, he's an angry puppy. But of course, he doesn't kill Spider-Man and leave his body there to be crushed. He just assumes everything will go fine. He's like, yeah, you're mostly beaten, right? You're, f- It'll work. No worries. I can leave now. But of course, that was his pl- That was his... uh. <laughs> problem and spidey is able to stop that whole thing from falling so no one dies thanks to the help of razorback right the trucker with a pig on his head this is razorback y'all in the 1970s to be a cool superhero all you needed to do was be a trucker with a pig on your head and you could be a superhero this would have been around the height of the, or I guess it's comics doing it, so this is probably post the height of the CB craze. Mm-hmm. I mean, didn't, yeah, Smokey and the Bandit came out, what, a year or two before this? Right. He does talk in, like, trucker speak, CB trucker speak. Uh, same year, Smokey and the Bandit is a 1977 film. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm just, go- I'm just going off by the memory of the Star Wars episode of uh, That 70s Show. Yeah. Where they were talking about, I want to see Smokey and the Bandit again. And they go to see Star Wars instead. And um, Razorback debuts with this story. He came out in issue 13. So having this inspired by that story definitely makes sense. Yeah, because he, yeah, he is trying to find his sister, Bobby Sue, who has become a part of this cult. Right. The explosion goes off, but luckily the people have been able to get away. No one's killed. Spidey comes out of there. And while the man beast is controlling, is used, is decided to take advantage of this anyway and to control the people, 
and making everybody angry and hateful, because that's what he does. He's the hate monger. It's in the name. Yeah. Razorback is able to hold off some of the goons. And, and Flash Shotgun. Thompson is randomly there because he is very invested in Shashan's well-being. Yes. And Shashan is able to hold off on the other guy, Brother Power, Achmed. Because she has powers, apparently, here. Mm-hmm. I don't remember whether that was a normal thing for her or if that was just something that, like, the man beast gave her. It's tied up in their couplehood, coupledom. They're, they're joining. Uh, once this splits, I don't believe Shashan has any powers after this. Okay, so she goes back to normal. But while they're dealing with the people, Spider-Man takes on the hate monger, or man beast, whatever you want to call him. Because he has both costumes on, technically. Yes, he is wearing both his hate longer costume and his face. Yes, <laughs> true. It's not like that. <laughs> it's just what he looks like. Right. <laughs> but Bobby Sue is able to get close enough to him to distract him, and therefore Spider Man is able to, able to get in there and knock him out with a scapow. He falls into the machine, and I'm sure he dies. I'm sure we never see him again. Probably. Spoiler: We will. And that's it. Everyone comes back. Everyone comes out of the trance. And I guess they just assume he's dead. Right. And yay! Good guys win. Um, this is... I don't know. Man Beast has a definite theme. <laughs> you know? He wants to really mess over people. And make them hate each other. And make humanity self-destruct. So... Yes. I can definitely see it as being, you know, a motivation here. It feels a little bit out of nowhere... But, you know, it's like, okay, so in the Warlock series, he was going for world domination. And he was geographically only in a small area of the world, but he was going for president of the United States. And that would have given him a lot of power in the world, a lot of influence in the world, especially in earlier decades when America had a different standing in the United, uh, the, the global scene. But here... He's just, you know, he's in a city in Vietnam. He's rising up a crowd. He's got a couple of superpowered people influencing them. And it doesn't seem like nearly as, I don't know, effective <laughs> a uh, an attempt. Well, maybe he was trying to learn from what happened before. He's like, I was trying to be president. I was playing the long game, you know, trying to do every, you know, trying to take over the whole world at once and do it slowly and that didn't work so let me go for quicker instead let me see what i can do faster maybe i can be more successful that way he did get a cult which you know maybe he saw warlock do that last time and he's like maybe it should start a religion that works for orange guy that's my assumption of this is that he's trying to do something different than what he did last time because obviously that failed miserably Mm -hmm. But he did not, you know, reckon with the power of Razorback. But yeah, this is a fun little story. This is early Spectacular Spider-Man, so it feels a little bit like kind of a side story for Spider-Man. It's not maybe on the level of Marvel Team-Up, but it has a similar feel to it. Where he's just off having an adventure that has no bearing on anything in his life. Uh, Flash Thompson and Shashan are a couple that last for a while, uh, and then... In the 80s, they kind of fall apart, and Shashan becomes a... When a writer wants to remember her and use her, she comes up again. But basically, she's off the stage. Yeah, I don't remember her being used for a long time. I remember when I was reading Spidey in the 90s, there was no mention of her. She was way gone. 
Yeah, well, he, and he was dating uh, Felicia Hardy for a while. Off yeah, that's about the time. I am amused by the end of this, where, you know, Razorback says, oh, great, we can come back home. You know, we can come back home. And she's like, but I left home for a reason. Yeah, the cult was a bad thing, but I left home for a reason. But then it, it's just like, okay, so I'm leaving. Bye. Just like, leave hey, me here okay. in Ho Chi Minh. I will find my way. Well, no, they're in New York. Oh, they're in New York now? They're in Yonkers Stadium. This whole thing takes place in Yonkers Stadium. He met Ahmed in in Vietnam, but they came to do oh, this Oh, that's before. right. I'm sorry. You're correct. I think I glossed over that whenever I was reading it. They're, they're under this huge stadium. But um, but still, it's like, I'm still, he's like, you know, he could be like, hey, I'm still here. Do you want to at least hang out with me for a day or two? Can we have lunch? I almost died trying to find you. How about we have lunch at least? Nope. She nope, has nothing to do. I just found that very amusing. Warlock is in one panel in the flashback. Whenever we see uh, see him turning uh, Man-Beast back into a wolf. Yes. At the end of the uh, Hulk, you know, triple, uh, the Hulk trilogy that, that wrapped up his plot lines. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, it's only one panel of Warlock, but at least the Man Beast is the villain throughout this issue, so it does have it does have some relation to the stuff from before. Right, feels connected. Yeah, because I mean the Man Beast wasn't just a random villain he fought. You know, he actually was his main, you know, his main nemesis before the Magus and Thanos. Mm-hmm. One or two things just to mention real quick, by the way. I just I wasn't sure if you uh, for the way you were reading it, if you had the bullpen bulletins. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've got it. Did you read the Stan soapbox or no? Let me see. I did not. Okay, so this is just something I thought you would appreciate from some of the things you've said on Make Ours Marvel, particularly about early Hulk. So Stanley talks about a contest he did about Pizzazz. You know, he mentioned a few months ago about the the new magazine coming up, Pizzazz. I'm assuming you have to say it that way because there's a couple of Z's in there. Yeah, yeah. And I know Pizzazz because it ran a Star Wars strip. That's right. Um, but the thing is, like he said, I didn't realize that when I was having this contest to have you guess what Pizzazz was going to be about, that it was going to run right next to a full page ad for Pizzazz. So you would have an idea. And what does he say? Oh, well, what do you expect from a guy who could never remember whether his own character was called Bruce Banner or Bob Banner? <laughs> Since I know you had some fun with that. Yep. But then he also brings up the fact that CBS has coming up a live-action, two-hour special Incredible Hulk movie. Right. Nice segue, Stan. Because yes. I'm reading this here. Like, anyway, what do you think they called Old Doc Banner? Bruce? Uh-uh. Bob? Forget it. They decided to name him Dave. I don't think he goes by Dave. Yes, David. He is David. He is not You Can Call Me Dave. But, you know, that's in keeping in <laughs> theme with the whole thing. He got that name wrong, so much too. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. Man Thing does not show up again until Thor 316, which is five years in the future. Uh, Man Beast and By Beast team up against Thor, Iron Man, and Man Thing. So lots of mans and yes. beasts. And things. Makes them all Thor. There's also a little bit in the bullpen bulletins talking about uh, Marvel chronology oh. and continuity. It's the second item after it's it's the first item right under the devil dinosaur image. Mm-hmm. Where basically they say we understand it's like hey it can get a little weird sometimes, but it's because you know a four issue Thor you know four issues of Thor could only be four hours. 
while portions of something else could be taking place over two weeks. Right. So you kind of have to assume, and they even mentioned Spider-Man and Mar- Amazing Spider-Man, Marvel Team-Up, and Spectacular. It's like, you kind of have to assume they take place in between, you know, different things can take place in between, depending on how you feel the reading goes. Which for me has always been pretty easy to rationalize. You know, it's like, you've got three issues of one character in a month. Well, some of these things are happening on Monday and some of these things are happening on Friday. I remember an issue of Wolverine. It might've been Wolverine and the X-Men that had a whole page of Wolverine doing different stuff with different people on different days of the week. And the captions were the days of the week. And like, he's solo fighting Sabretooth on one day. He's X-Men fighting Magneto on another day. He's Avengers fighting, you know, something else. So it's just like, Wolverine's a busy guy because he has 75 comics every month that feature him. But Thor was one of the big culprits of that because Thor was one of the characters who, of course, he was not the only character who had Avengers and a solo book. All the early Avengers had solo books. But he was one of the first ones to have like ongoing narrative threads in his solo series that took a lot of juggling because it would go issue to issue to issue to issue without a break in the story Meanwhile, he's over in the Avengers doing stuff. So you got to kind of play with that in your head. Yeah, but especially the period. Sorry, go on. Just, but to me, that's never been a difficult concept. Yeah. Yeah, especially um, in the period of America's Marvel I'm listening to where there's like, you guys are talking about the fact that there's like no breaks in the Thor story. Mm-hmm. But he was still have been like a period. But he's still been with the Avengers. And they actually kind of like shoehorned in like, oh, this is where he quits the Avengers. Yeah. And you do you kind of have to, you know, find a gap in the story because you've got eight issues with, with each ending cliffhangers into the next. Well, in this one particular issue, he does actually breathe for a page yeah. and goes to his office. So maybe during this little space of time, you could have the Avengers issues that have been stacking up on the shelf. They go right here. Yeah. And that and kind of that, yeah. And they touched on sometimes. I know during the Korvac saga, if you remember that, that was actually a plot point. Mm-hmm. That Thor was randomly showing up and then disappearing, and that turned out to be because of the collector, right? Pulling so him. So that was out an interesting time. way. To, interesting way to play with that. Makes me wonder if that was intentional or if that was like a thought that came up during the course of the Korvac saga. But yeah, Thor shows up, and they're like, "Thor, you were just here." It's like I've not been here for weeks. Yeah, and what you said about that issue, Wolverine. Uh, I think you said Wolverine the X Men. You thought. Mm-hmm. Reminds me, do you ever listen to the song by Kirby Crackle, On and On? I don't think so. It's all about Wolverine. Okay. And here's I'm going to read off the chorus real quick. Monday comes, fly to the savage land. Tuesday, rooftop, battles with the gang of hand. Until Wednesday morning, fill up with bullet wounds. Thursday night, tearing up the wrecking crew. On and on and on it goes. So basically it's like, Monday I'm here, Tuesday I'm there, mm-hmm. Wednesday I'm going to this place, Thursday I'm with this group, Friday, Friday I'm finding the wrecking crew, for God's sake. No wonder he's always grouchy and just wants yeah. to relax with a beer. But I thought that was interesting, the bullpen bullpens, considering the fact that that's, some, that's a topic that comes up periodically in people reading comics, particularly shared universe books. That comes up periodically. Well, how does this work? How does that work? How come Wolverine's fighting in the Savage Land this month, but he's also with the X-Men? Reconciling it all is not always easy, but the concept that it can be reconciled or that you... You know, the reconciliation is left up to the reader. That part has never bothered me at all. No, that never bothers me. The only time I have somewhat of an issue with it is when we get to specific events that get mentioned, like New Year's. 
mm-hmm. or holidays where it's like, okay, you know what? Kitty's like, we've had like eight Christmas or Hanukkah issues of Kitty. She's obviously been there eight years. She can't be 15 anymore. Well, but at a certain point, you got to let that go because otherwise you're like, okay, it's been 30 issues. She has, you know, but she's obviously not 40 something, you know, 43 years old. Yeah, you see, in Marvel time, you don't actually age a year for every year of calendar time. It just doesn't work out that way. <laughs> I think it's just that's how Spider Man spent three years of comics in his senior year of high school. So, you know. I just assume after a couple of them, you have to you have to drop the, the oldest one. It's like, okay, that one doesn't count anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was a fun little thing to mention. Mm-hmm. It is now time for us to cover the feedback. And this time we are talking about feedback from episode 146, MCU 2021 Part 2, where John Wilson and I were talking about the show What If, as well as the movies Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and Eternals. On Facebook... The post about that episode got likes and shares from Joe Sedano, Ruth Sutherland, Gene Hendricks, Pat Sampson, and Bill Bear. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Brian Ray, JLI Podcast, Viet Nguyen, Toys and Sometimes Jokes, Signal of Doom, Last Sons of Krypton, Connor McKenna, Days of High Adventure, John Reed's Comics, Yo, Capes and Lunatics, Tomes of Evil, a comic book villain podcast, Doc Strange, Chris Lydon, Into the Night, Secret Wars and Beyond, Mark's Mess Podcast, Little Tom 2099 slash Lieutenant Jax, and Ray. Thank you to everyone for the likes and shares. It's always appreciated. If you want to be able to do that too, go to our Facebook page. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos and the Facebook search box will pop up. Follow us on Twitter. We're at Adam Thanos Pod. And you can like and retweet the posts about our new episodes. You can, of course, go to our Tumblr page, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And of course, you can always send us an email. Been a little while since I got an email. Wouldn't mind having a new one to read for the show. Resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. Now, besides here, you could also hear me some other places. You can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. And we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC sci-fi series, Legion. That's the one with the acronym, not Legion of Superheroes. Also, this past week or so, you can find me on guest starring on two episodes on Revolution Broadcasting shows on the W2M Network, Comic Stripped, where we talked about the Logan's Run comic and movie, and also on TV Party Tonight, Hawkeye Season 1, or what we talked about, Season 1 of Hawkeye. Links for all those will be in the show notes. Finally, don't forget, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. In fact, you can hear a promo for one of the Collective shows right now. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Brian. And we are the hosts of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast apps for all your Ghost Rider needs. Right on. And that is it for this episode. So thank you, John, for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been a fun ride through all the different, you know, warlockizations. Yeah, we touched on her. Wait, does that sound wrong? Yes. Okay. Uh, we caught up. We, we caught up with her. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 
Scar. We got to the origin of her. Yes. When she was quite the paragon. Yes. And the Doctor Strange weirdness. And now Spidey fighting the Man Beast. So, John, before you go, where else can people find you if they want to hear more of the melodious sounds of your voice? Well, as we said earlier, I do a Marvel podcast, Silver Age Marvel, that talks about Spider-Man and all the other heroes of the early Marvel Universe over at Make Ours Marvel. Good friend Michael Kaiser and I are there every week, every Friday. As we're recording this, it is our three-year anniversary. We have 156 episodes out. So, um, yeah, that's over six years of comic stories that we have um, synopsized, discussed, and reviewed for your listening pleasure. So go check us out. I'm also on Twitter at John Reads Comics, no H in that name, and uh, drop me a follow. I'll be there talking about comics. Yep, links will be in the show notes. And remember, you heard Michael a few months ago, just on along with John and me on our uh, Thor episode about Acts of Vengeance. Yes, that's right. That was fun. Yeah. All right, we'll be back next week with a few more random issues from, as I'm calling it, the wilderness years of Adam and Thanos. Sounds good. Sounds like All a right. road trip. Yes. <laughs> These are not the hard traveling heroes, though. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page.